Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Unfinished Mind. We hope that everyone has had a good few weeks. We've certainly had a relaxing month, took a break, got some sleep after a rough semester, getting some of that energy back. Oh, I see oh. what you did there. Because oh. that's because it's the episode. That's that's pretty good. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So energy guys we need it to live the sun gives us energy and there's many types of energy but we're going to talk about how this energy or the energy around the world works we're going to talk about how it works in a political sense in a science sense and we're going to offer you some insights that you may not have considered before okay starting off Since the dawn of time, Ren, are you ready? Since the dawn of time. Since the dawn itself. Since the dawn itself. Straight out of the primordial soup. You know it. Exactly. The earth was hot and then it cooled and then humans were born. And those humans started harnessing energy from wind. From wind. How, How may you ask? So humans... The very first source of energy that humans really used was fire. We used fire to cook. We used fire to be the light in darkness. We used fire to make ourselves warm. And then second, we think from our research, uh, second came wind. Now, sailors used wind in their sails to direct ships and boats Manpower was also used to supplement this powerful wind to help steer that ship and help drive it forward, but it was mostly wind that helped the ship, and humans became experts in wind and climate patterns. Now, fast forward into the future, you know, a few centuries, humans started using coal. They were like, this black rock makes things go fast or gives us a lot of heat to use as energy. So they used coal and a lot of the world's coal began to take over the energy harnessing market, providing about 48% of the world's energy by 1900. And steam came in at the same time too. So coal and steam actually were the major sources of energy during the industrial revolution. That's why the Industrial Revolution was so transformative was because we had these two energy sources that we could use to complete things at a faster rate. So steam came in and steam began to be used after the development of the steam engine. Basically, what happened was this French physicist, Denis Pepin, made a type of pressure cooker and was like, hmm... Maybe I can use the steam in this to power an engine. And then English inventor Thomas Savory used Pepin's work to build a steam machine. Steam machine. Oh, I like that. I mean, honestly, like steaming up some broccoli or whatever Mr. Pepin was doing there with the pressure cookie cooker, I really wouldn't have thought immediately like, wow, this white 
cloud stuff could definitely move my boat around. I, it wouldn't have been the first thing that, that came to mind, but I, I admire that. I admire that, uh, that mentality. Very creative, very applicative, very transformative, if you will. So he was like, I'm going to build a steam machine to remove the water from the coal mines to make transporting easier and to make just the job of the coal miners easier. Right. And Years later, after some more inventors and more fixes and more time, boom, the steam age. So steamboats helped transport a lot of stuff through the Mississippi River to different parts of the United States, and the United States grew even faster. And then we discovered, living in Texas, you know what we discovered, Ren, what did we discover? Earl. (laughs) That was so (laughs) gross. That was nasty. I take it back. But yeah, oil, old, good old fashioned gasolina. Gasolina. We're getting copyrighted for that. But less than 30 seconds, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. then it's fine. Okay. <laughs> okay, anyway, living in Texas, always learned about people hitting oil pools out here. And there's a bunch of oil coming out. It's called liquid gold. That's right. Black gold. Black Black gold, gold. baby. Black gold, baby. So we started using fossil fuels and oil for our energy. And fossil fuels, I like to call it dinosaur juice. Technically, it's not made out of dinosaurs. It's made out of uh, ancient plants. But uh, this fossil fuels were used because they had a lot of energy for a certain amount of mass compared to the other ways of getting energy so they were really useful but sometime after you know burning a lot of it people found out it's not that good for the environment anyway oil was a kind of a refined product of fossil fuels and petroleum and gasoline so by 1980 40 percent of the world's energy was oil provided only 11.4 percent was traditional biomass and traditional biomass is like wood it's grass other natural things that already exist on top of the earth that we can just take up chop up light it on fire that's our energy and about 11 percent was still coal so how you know getting all this energy it's kind of it's kind of a lot it's right. kind of a lot. It's kind of a lot. And it's super uh, interesting, you know, all around. I think it's important, though, that we, we recognize, like, these are all of the very interesting historical sources for our energy. But, like, what is energy? What are we even talking about? Like, in real, tangible terms, what is energy? And if you look it up online, basically, you're going to get the physicist answer, which is that it's the ability to do work. And that, in other words, is that you can take this energy, squish it into a usable force, and then use that force in an applied manner to move something, essentially. That's what we're saying in like the very physical physics definition of the term energy. And that's according to like US Energy Information Administration. They'll tell you that right out the right out the gate. But there's lots of different types of energy that we can train to use for our own purposes that we can turn into usable energy. And that is heat energy, light energy, motion, electrical energy, chemical energy, and gravitational energy. 
and you're used to hearing about electrical every day. I mean, you plug in your iPhone charger, bing, bang, boom, you're using electrical energy, but you don't really hear a lot about how that makes its way to you, how you get that energy. So in order to have usable energy, you need to have uh, a way to store it, a way to hold potential energy and turn it into kinetic energy. And that is that right there, having a way to turn potential energy, which is stored energy into kinetic usable energy, runs our lives. It runs our everyday. Uh, the, the process of plugging something in and letting that little metal piece conduct electricity to your device and allow it to charge or to perform work in some way uh, is what runs us. It's what runs us as a society. And since, you know, as, as Aria was saying earlier, since the day that we started harnessing wind and fire for our uses, we've been doing this. We've been converting energy and using it to our advantage. And it's pretty fascinating, but I think it often escapes our minds just how important it is to us societally and just every every day. It's in our bodies, our homes, our vehicles. And I mean, whatever you're using to listen to this right now, that bad boy needs energy and it's got to be able to store it. So pretty cool, you know, not something to be taken for granted for sure. However, because it's so important, there is also a ton, a ton of demand for energy, as we're all very aware. The worldwide energy consumption has changed drastically in the past 200 years alone. So in 1800, the world used about 5,600 terawatts of energy per hour. And that's just a fancy way of saying uh, how energy is measured. But moral of the story short, if your light bulb runs on 20 watts, then imagine how many massive amounts of energy and light bulbs are needed to form 5,600 terawatts. That's a lot, that's a lot of energy. And that was in 1800. By 2019, that number increased almost 31 times to 173,000 terawatts per hour. And this is worldwide, this is the worldwide humans, this is the energy that we are using. And that is a, an astronomical amount. Now, as far as like a country by country breakdown goes, China uses the most energy in the world, followed shortly by the US and then India, and then following them, uh, Russia, Japan, and South Korea, and also several countries in Europe, all of which have very similar energy consumption. You only see very big differences between China, US, and India, and every other country I just listed has pretty much the same energy usage. Um, it's not drastically different. So that's definitely a point of interest um, when we look at it that way. And what also fascinates me in this aspect is there's been a 31 times increase in energy consumption in especially a lot of it is electrical consumption which tells us that a lot of coal and fossil fuels are being burnt because that's the way that we get electricity and that's traditionally the way that we've gotten electricity so imagine like you have you have so many people who need that much more energy more fossil fuels or coal or wood has to get burned and used to provide for that absolutely yeah in the year in the year 2019 
about 25% of our energy came from coal, about 30% from oil, and about 22 from gas, leaving only about six from wood, which is, you know, where we came from in the 1800s, as Aria was saying, we had almost entirely wood-based energy production, and now it is almost completely gas, oil, and coal. Um, very little comes from other sources. Which then, Ren, ooh, which then, Ren, brings I me like to my, ooh, <laughs> oh. it brings me to my next point, alternative energy. We're using all of this stuff that is making our environment kind of toxic and kind of bad. So alternative energy, renewable energy, renewable energy, if you will. ha 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 that's my applause. name. I live that for the applause, one. applause. Okay. <laughs> one more song reference today and we might just, you know, have to go on Jeopardy or something. I don't know how this works. I'm telling you right now, I'm ready for that. All Anyways, right. recently there has been a movement towards sustainability. So you've actually seen many inventions where, oh, there's a car that runs on air now. That's pretty cool. That's, that's something that, that I saw. Cool. There's a car that runs on air. They, they invented that sign me up there's been hybrid cars like you know tesla has been making hybrid cars the prius is a hybrid there's a lot of inventions that are trying to switch to more sustainable or more renewable types of energy so what does sustainable mean by the way sustainable development is defined by the un world commission on environment and development as the development that meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. Basically, they're like, don't screw over the future generation. We need to take the precautions now to not do that. Basically, the world is trying to achieve sustainability through using a variety of energy sources. So one type of energy resource is windmills. And basically, there's these giant fans in the middle of nowhere and wind is turning the blades of that turbine, which spins a generator to generate electricity. And as of 2018, turbines produce only 5% of global energy. They're less expensive than solar panels, but it's still kind of not a good trade-off money-wise to energy. And a drawback is that these wind turbines kill birds, like a lot of them. And some of these birds are endangered species. So they're not that great of a resource. I don't know. I don't know, Ren. Would you like to enlighten us on windmills to tell us your opinion? What do you think? Windmills. Big. Spin fast. Very tall. Those are my opinions on windmills. <laughs> well... I mean, that just shows you how much we know about them, right? As Americans, it's just not something that is discussed as much as dams. Dams are hydroelectric power plants. But basically, they are like windmills, but in the water. So the water's flow turns the turbine that produces energy. And then that energy is stored in a battery and it turns it into electricity. So this actually, dams, account for about half of the United States' renewable energy production. So about 7.3% of the total energy production in 2020. That's the number. 
I think that's pretty cool. You know, the Hoover Dam. Yeah, many dams. Know, many dams. I, I, I'll be, I'll be, um, damned if if I if I lived at Hoover Dam. Of course, is what I is what I meant by that. Just just for clarification. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty windy. A lot. A lot of wind. Yeah. Those, those sailors would have a lot of fun. <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh, that's a really smart. Actually, what if we could combine? That would be actually, they should get on that. Bren, they should get you're on to something. Uh, am I? Okay. I think you are. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Count me in. Let's, let's, let's do it. Let's get the, 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 the wind folk, uh, get the sailors on this. They need to know. Just like the Hoover Dam has a lot of wind. Guess what the United States has a lot of? sunlight and land stupidity oh oh (laughs) got it got it uh we're talking about sunlight okay that too that too got it anyway yeah so the united states has a lot of land and a lot of sunlight so sometimes the best renewable energy that a lot of current people in the industry think that the u.s can use are actually solar panels and solar panels absorb sunlight so they absorb the energy from that light using photovoltaic cells and the light energizes these cells and provides us energy they're lower maintenance than turbines because they don't need that you know motor thing spinning they're just getting you know these cells get fried and that frying produces energy and i think a certain opinion of a qualified individual in certain industry of renewable energy is uh, Elon Musk. Take that statement with a grain of salt, please. Uh, Elon Musk told us that, and I quote, if you wanted to power the entire United States with solar panels, it would take a fairly small corner of Nevada or Texas or Utah. You only need about 100 miles by 100 miles of solar panels to power the entire United States. Wow. I, I can't even fit that in my head. That is just wild to me that we have not jumped on this yet. And there's still parts of the United States that don't get normal power. So imagine like if we could just do it in a small area and batteries to store this energy are like one square mile in size, but that's like tiny compared to the vast amount of land that is unoccupied in the United States. So Elon Musk actually recommends a combination of large-scale solar plants and rooftop solar panels so putting solar panels on your house or like on buildings in cities he recommends a combination of that along with other types of renewable energy to transition to sustainable power production i think that's pretty cool honestly definitely so Another And the reason he says that is actually if you have localized power lines, it would reduce the need for like giant wires to have to be strung from that giant field of solar panels to the tiny town that you live away, live at away, like 500 miles away from the giant plant. So it's easier to have 
some solar panels on your house. Consider it, guys. You know, it would be cool. If you can't, that's fine too. Just do your best. But changing to renewable energy would eliminate the 1,448 metric tons of carbon dioxide produced by the U.S. electrical power sector as of 2020. And that makes up about 32% of the emissions in the United States. Imagine, Ren, a third of the bad, bad emissions in the United States just gone if we could make this giant solar panel field. Count me in. I don't, I don't need uh, the clouds to see. You know, the clouds are not going to get blinded by these panels. So, exactly. so where do I get one? Lowe's? Home Depot, the HEB perhaps. Count Maybe. me in. HEB has I'm, everything, I'm dude. Sold. Solar panels now. I, I think so. I feel like they would do that. The- Hermony butts. <laughs> he uh, would. Think they're Anyways. in the home and garden section or like <laughs> probably. All right, cool. Sounds good. Anyway, now that brings me to a type of energy that is very promising but also very dangerous, and that is nuclear energy. It's dangerous and not that dangerous. Nuclear energy is relatively new compared to other renewable energy resources. Like the first nuclear power plant was actually built in Idaho in 1951, and it produces consistent power unlike solar and wind. You know, solar needs the sun, obviously, so you can only really have it 12 hours a day, maybe. And wind, you have to it depends on the wind patterns. So you can't really get the wind turbine spinning all the time, but nuclear, it's there all the time. It's cheaper to run nuclear power plants than gas or coal plants, but the initial costs to build them are extremely expensive. It's around $6 billion. It's expensive. They don't have the money for that because I'll talk about that later. But these Power plants don't produce the greenhouse gases that gas and coal plants do because they're just not burning anything. It's just a chemical reaction with toxic byproducts that are usually liquid. Wow. But how do they how do they dispose of those products? Well, these products don't actually degrade very fast and they're not good for the environment if you just dump them randomly. The U.S. put a, in quotes, nuclear coffin on Runit Island to hold nuclear waste produced by weapons testing during the Cold War. So this is during the 60s. There is radioactive leakage into nearby lagoons from that nuclear coffin, but the Department of Energy reported it as not a significant source of radiation exposure. I don't know what significant means to them. It's still radioactive, still going to be harming the life. But as of June 2020, that has been the case. Still, there is great public concern about how safe these methods of disposal are and the effect they may have in the future. That chemistry, it really do be harming us in college and in life. That it do, that it do. So now I was going to talk about the money part, right? So the Paris Climate Accord is an agreement reached in 2011 that states would submit voluntary emission reductions to keep global temperature increases below two degrees Celsius. Basically, they were like, a bunch of countries came together and agreed, 
we're going to try to reduce the emissions that we are producing to keep the global temperature rise down. So they were like, if it goes up, like up above two degrees Celsius, this is bad. We need to try to keep it from doing that. So this climate accord, this essentially treaty or uh, agreement, this agreement included $100 billion to aid developing countries in growing their economies without contributing to climate change. So they were like, we're going to use this money to invest in renewable energy instead. And they were compensated for the contribution of developed countries through industrialization. So essentially, it's a huge step, right? This agreement and the use of voluntary national targets instead of binding agreements incentivizes countries to join. So they're like, we're going to give you this money. You don't have to take it if you don't want to, but there's a lot of rewards in the end. It doesn't lock people into the agreement and people can withdraw anytime that they want to, <laughs> but it's something that is good because it provides a reward instead of just a punishment if you don't agree to join. However, the agreement still isn't perfect. Current targets that were established by this agreement will not even be met. Like the goals of the current targets will not be met. And it's just chaotic, you know? It's pretty chaotic. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of this is just, it's a result of politics and, and the people, you know, being outspoken against, um, against this kind of change, which doesn't make a lot of sense. But... And more importantly, a lot of this comes from political lobbying and funding. You know, money moves the world. And when people are lobbying for things that go against things like the climate, climate accord, then we get problems. So what is political lobbying? You may be wondering. It generally refers to advocacy in which individuals or groups contact their local government officials or federal government officials to make political decisions. And that includes saying, hey, don't say yes to the Paris Climate Accord or something like that. Now, this often allows groups and individuals to tell their leaders that um, they want something to be done. And this can occur through direct contact and uh, re resultant bill writing from that, or perhaps from just reaching out to them in an educational sense uh, or reaching out to them financially. And that is, uh, that is a pretty common problem here in the US of A. Now, it is pretty, it is regulated. Lobbying is regulated in the US. Uh, as of 1946, there's a federal law that requires lobbyists and the groups represented to report their contributions um, out loud. So basically, uh, government officials have to tell us when lobbying is occurring. That's what that's essentially saying. So the role in energy of this of this practice is that um, fossil fuel industry, the fossil fuel industry, is a, a frequent lobbyer for um, outspending renewable renewable energy companies, a ratio of 13 to one. So in other words, fossil fuel industries are having their voices heard just a little bit louder than renewable energy companies um, by our politicians in the United States. 
The fossil fuel industry spent $359 million on lobbying and campaign donations in the 2017 through 2018 midterm election cycle. And that number is pretty similar for most election cycles. Um, there's donations to political campaigns and uh, also the fossil fuel companies spend a lot of money influencing the public through broadcasting and mail, social media, astroturf organizations, all sorts of things that are constantly bombarding the American public um, with information about fossil fuels and how they're good. Renewable energy companies, however, do not spend as much money lobbying in the election cycles spending only 26 million in the 2017-2018 midterm cycle. So that is an interesting, just an interesting little bit of information to keep in mind when you think about why the United States uh, may not have held their part of the Paris Climate Accord. We're back in it now though, I think we are. Right. Yes, we yeah. are. Back in that climate accord. So that is good. That is a step uh, towards renewable energy. And that is exciting. And this is just another example of why it's so important to get out and vote, because that is the way in which you express your political opinion. And sometimes, you know, people want renewable energy. Some people think that not having renewable energy is great, too. But political lobbying in that sector is an example of why your vote also matters. Absolutely. And as research hopefully increases in the area of renewable energy, then hopefully we, we begin to see an increase in effective lobbying and effective, um, basically, renewable energy, um, people who want renewable energy making their voices heard. That is very important um, when it comes to sustainability and, and living sustainably. Definitely. And yes, living sustainability is really important. So one thing is how feasible is this actually? How feasible is it to switch to sustainable energy? How feasible is it to use these harmful types of energy like gas, coal, oil? Well, you know, fossil fuels are easy to transport and they provide a large concentration of energy, but there's still a finite amount of this resource. So based on different articles, it is estimated that oil will be used up between around 30 to 50 years. So all of the oil will be gone in 30 to 50 years, gas about 40 to 60 and coal about 70 to 100 years. So as the global population continues to increase, the demand of for energy will increase. So having these limited resources for us to use as a primary resource to get energy is not feasible at all. So currently, renewable energy accounts for about one-fourth of the world's energy demand, and it's had the highest growth rate in 2017 compared to the other energy resources. So we're getting there. We're just getting there a little bit slowly. So of course, there's pros and cons for every single type of energy. And, you know, it's feasible to switch to alternative energy. And that is based on what we've just said for the past few minutes and what we think would be a better thing for us to kind of concentrate on. So there is a lot of public concern though for certain types of energy. So for example, 
incidents that concern these alternative energies or these renewable energies can dissuade the public towards supporting and using these sources. For example, nuclear energy disasters like Chernobyl in Ukraine and the Fukushima Daiichi in Japan were really bad. There is some difficulty with meeting these energy demands because there's just not the infrastructure to know that and to provide that. So we're still getting there, but we're still taking steps in the right in the right direction. So that was our two cents on energy and what we think you guys should know. How are we doing, Ren? Doing all right. It's just so fascinating to, to look at all of the ways energy is being used right now, just sitting here talking to you. I'm using my own personal energy. Uh, I'm using energy to record this right now, and we're using energy to share it with other people who might be interested to hear some of this information. And it's so important to our lives. And I really hope that we get to keep using energy and that it doesn't run out. And you know, you know what that implies <laughs> that we got to come up with better energy sources. So, and as science students, we are going to be part of that effort to do so. And that's, I think, pretty cool because it's, it would be nice to have a world that's bearable to live in, you know, that's not, you know, filled with carbon dioxide and air we can't breathe. I would like that, I think. I think, yeah, me too. Anyways, thank you everyone for listening to the first episode of our second season on The Unfinished Mind. We hope you have a great day, a great week, and tune in next week where we talk about something very cool. Robots, humans, what's the combination? How, how they meet. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. Bye. Bye.